Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Peter, the first chapter, beginning with verse 22 and running through the second chapter and the third verse. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Roger. And thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. All of those songs we sang are going to tie right into our passage this morning. You'll see that as we go through. So thanks, Allison, for great choices on what we sing together. And thanks for being here this morning. I, I know it's... Uh, little extra effort these days to get out and get around and get to places and get here and be here. So thank you for, for doing that, making that effort to be here. And just to add to what Roger said, thank you for continuing to faithfully give and support the ministries at Trinity Church. And I love it that we're, we've begun this tradition, I guess it is now, of singing the doxology um, since we don't actually pass an offering, just as a reminder that we're giving all that we have and all that we have comes from God, which is why we, we sing that, praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? So we're saying, God, it all comes from you and we are giving back what is already yours. That's a great way to explain that, express that, and to uh, acknowledge that in prayer to him. So, uh, uh, so thanks for that faithfulness as well. I want to share with you one thing before we pray and get into the Word this morning, um, just more of on a personal level, because so many of you have, have prayed with me and for me in this long, drawn-out process of writing the story of my dad's life. So um, I shared with you last month, June 18th was the 11-year anniversary of his home going to heaven. And on that same day, after our services here that night, I finally published through Amazon self-publishing the story of my dad's life. So it is now in print, and many of you have prayed for me through the last couple of years where I've been trying to finish this project and get it all written down. And so Home Before Sunset is the title, and it's explained in the book. You'll understand why it's that title. But what I decided to do is I just got some copies from Amazon and put them on the table out in the lobby, just kind of on this side. If you would like to... Um, 
to read this story of my dad's life and just see God's grace at work in his life. I invite you to do that. It's a quick read and then just read it and bring it back. And then we're just going to recycle them like a little lending library here of about 10 copies or so. I can get more if we need them, but, but uh, some people took them the first service. I think, I didn't even check. I think there's still a few back there, but if you want to pick one up on your way out, please feel free to do that. I just want to share God's grace at work in my dad's life that I got to see up close and personal in him. So, um, and I just want to say thanks to those of you that are watching online. Thank you for tuning into our live stream. We're glad that you're here. And even though you are at home or wherever you might be watching this on your phone or laptop, um, we want you to know you are part of our family, part of our worship. And we want you to be just as engaged as we are right here in this room. So if you're watching online and just kind of set everything else aside, focus on God's word for the next few minutes with us. And we invite you to do that and you will be blessed uh, by God's word at work in your life. So let's pray for that. Pray for that work of God and that blessing as we go to his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your, your grace at work in our lives. And I thank you, Lord, that we can, as we've just sung this morning, we can say that we are your children, that we have been adopted into your family, that you've made us your own, you've given us this inheritance of salvation that we've talked about in 1 Peter. And so, Lord, thank you for these many blessings of our salvation. Don't let us forget it. And this morning, as we study these verses in 1 Peter, remind us of what our salvation is to be doing in our lives, how we respond and live it out day to day. Be our teacher, be our guide in these next few moments, we pray. And Lord, I do pray, as I, as I always do, that it would be your living word and your living spirit that would do the work in us that we so desperately need, be our, our counselor and our, our, our coach and would teach us what we need to hear this morning. And then, Lord, help us to have ears that can hear and to be responsive and obedient to what you call us to this morning as we personally apply the truth of your word to our lives today. Lord, thank you for your care over us during these, these strange times in our world, these new challenges that we're facing. Lord, may we be your light. May we be salt. May we be your ambassadors, your representatives to the world, showing the grace and love of God in the midst of trying circumstances. Help us to live that well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the ad campaign started in 1993, 27 years ago now. And when the, when the campaign started, it ended up, nobody knew that it would, this would happen, but it ran for some 20 years. That's very unusual for a particular ad campaign, 20 years. The more the most enduring and, and popular ad campaigns ever. During that time, that 20 years, some 350 unique television and print ads were created out of that one ad campaign. It included... Uh, people from uh, uh, politics and sports and film and theater. And it reached people not because of the way it promoted a product so much as it, the way it promoted the lack of the product. 
And the whole ad campaign was based on just a couple of short words, a very brief question. Got milk? Do you remember the ad campaign? If you saw the little video Beth and I made and sent out yesterday, you got a little view of this, me trying to make the little milk mustache on, on my face. It doesn't work, by the way, with 1% milk. It's just too watered down. I think you have to have pure cream or something to get that nice milk mustache. But these were the pictures. You saw, Remember, I just put a few of them up here. So here's a Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, wrestler and actor. And even Kermit the Frog got into the act. You know, and So you'd see these people that you saw in other contexts and suddenly there they are holding a glass of milk with a milk mustache on. And that was the basic ad campaign. And the idea was to get you to think of those moments, and you've probably had them like I have, when you pour the cereal or the make the oatmeal, and then you go to the fridge and you say, where's the milk? I can't have my cereal without milk. So the question, you got milk? You got to have milk. And so through this ad campaign, they got our entire nation to think of milk as an absolutely necessary product in your refrigerator. And it all started by a California milk council of some kind that wanted to promote the idea of drinking milk. Got milk. When we come to 1 Peter... And Peter essentially is saying to us, you need milk. But not the kind that comes in a carton. You need the milk of the word, the milk of God. We can't possibly live without it. And so Peter essentially is asking us the question this morning, do you have it? Do you have God's nourishing milk at work in your life? So we're in 1 Peter and we've been studying this passage for the, this book for the last few weeks. So I invite you to turn there. Take your Bible, electronic device, or at home, join us as well. Get to 1 Peter. We're in kind of the last part of chapter 1 today. And we've titled the series, Living Hope, because it's a phrase Peter uses right off the bat, and it describes our salvation, this enduring, eternal salvation that comes because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And we've seen these amazing descriptions that Peter gives us of our salvation, past, present, and future. And then, he does all that at the beginning part of chapter 1, and then in the middle of chapter 1, and Jason took us into this transition last week, where we begin to see Peter showing us now, based on this amazing salvation, there are some things you need to do. There are some ways you need to respond. Your salvation will be completed. It's coming, but in the meantime, wait for it. It's worth the wait. And then Jason led us to these key points. We need to wait for our salvation, waiting in hope, waiting in holiness, and waiting in fear, reverential fear of our God. And all that marks our salvation now as we wait for it to be completed. In our passage today, Peter continues with that same thought of this is what your salvation is, and this is what it does in your life. He calls us to love others. And he calls us to grow up. Let's look at it together, our first principle. Starting verse 22. Those born again into God's family work at loving others deeply. 
If you're born into God's family, one of the things that you are responsible for is to love others deeply. It's, and one of the things I love about this book in 1 Peter is that, that Peter is so, so confident in the transformation that comes because of our salvation. And I think it's probably because Peter experienced that himself, right? Peter saw the change at work in himself firsthand. And so he just exudes this confidence about the power of salvation to be at work in our lives. And so he starts with this first phrase in verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves, So he's already landing on something. He says, this is something that's a result of your salvation. It's this purification. And that whole phrase translates a perfect tense verb in the Greek, which means essentially that it was something that that happens in, in the past, but that its results continue on into the present. That's the idea. Anything used in that tense, that verb in that tense, carries that weight. And so, he's saying that's true about your purification. There's that moment of salvation when God steps into your life and you're forgiven of your sin, saved from your sin, purified, cleansed of your sin. But it doesn't just stop there. He says, you are continuously being purified of your sin. That's the work of God in our lives. It's a process that we call our sanctification, being set apart, purified, molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. And Peter says that purification happens to us by obeying the truth. That's the next phrase in verse 22, by obeying the truth. Now, if, if you're like me, I think about this, and I think, you know, usually when I think about needing purification and forgiveness and cleansing, it's when I've sinned and I need to be purified of that sin. And that's definitely the case. But Peter is also saying here that purification comes through obedience as well. So it's not just when we disobey and need purification, that our obedience, when we obey God and do what He's called us to do, that has a purifying effect in our lives as well. Maybe here's a way to think about it. You know, if you're maybe like, like I was growing up as a kid, the, the only time I would wash my hands was if they were visibly dirty and it was very clear they needed to be washed, or my mom said, you got to wash your hands for dinner. Other than that, I never bothered washing my hands, and there was no such thing as, as Purell and waterless hand cleaner and stuff like this. Nowadays, in our current environment, hand washing, hand cleansing, purifying is a habit pattern. We do it all the time to try to eliminate those unseen germs and viruses. It's not just for the dirt you can see. So maybe that's a good lesson for us about what the purifying work of God is in our life. Peter is saying, just by obeying God, you're developing a habit pattern that keeps that purifying process going in your life. In other words, you don't just need purifying when you step out of line and you sin. You need it on a daily, regular basis. And as you're obeying God, He is doing that work of purifying. Great picture. That's the work of God in us. Peter also acknowledges something else here. He said, okay, you've been purified by your obedience to the Word. And then he says, 
That, and it's really a compliment to the character quality of these believers in Asia Minor, the, the recipients of this letter. And so he says, you have this sincere love for one another. Sincere love for one another. The word for love there is the word phileo. It's the common word for human love, brotherly love, family love, friendship kind of love. He says, you're doing that. It's sincere. He's saying, you've come together and your faith has brought you together as the family of God and you are loving each other well. But then notice what he says next. The very next phrase, he says, as a command, love one another deeply from the heart. So you got to read that and you say, wait a minute, you just commended them for their love and now you're commanding them to love. Isn't that redundant? Ah, but he uses a different word for love in the next phrase. In the second phrase, he says, agape. That's God's love. That's the, Greek, the deeper level of love. That's love that only comes by God at work in our lives. That's not a kind of love that we can generate ourselves. It's a higher level, a love that's beyond us. And so Peter is calling us to live out God's love poured in us. He says, he's saying to his readers and to us, he's saying, okay, I see you are loving one another. That's great. Now you need to practice the love that God is pouring into you and pour that out to each other. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, 5. He says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring God's love into us so that we can then love others with the love of God, not just with our own love. It's, and not only is this that deeper quality of agape love, Peter also calls us here to love deeply. He adds that that descriptor to it. And here again is another interesting word. The word here for deeply means earnestly or fervently. It's actually an athletic term that means striving with all one's energy. So it's like seeing an athlete, you know, on a, in a race, just running, just giving everything they've got, straining and stretching towards that finish line. Or a soccer player getting to that, every effort to get to that ball before the opponent gets to that ball. That's the word here. That's to love deeply. He's saying love with energy. Work at it. So you put those two things together. Peter is saying the love that you need to have for each other is a love that comes only from God. It's only God's love working through you. But you've got to work at it as well striving to love in this way. Jason actually had a great illustration of this last week in his sermon. He, remember, if you were here or you heard it online, Jason was talking about their family trip to Colorado and how, um, Miller, you were the first one to find it, right? And you went out hiking and you found a sign on this thing called a fish ladder. And Everybody else wanted confirmation that this was a real thing and that Miller wasn't just making this up. So they, they went out, and said, sure enough, a fish ladder. Well, I wanted to make sure Jason wasn't pulling all of our legs last week. So I looked it up myself, and sure enough, it's a thing. 
Apparently, it's an old thing. Now they've moved on to, what is it, salmon shooters or something like that you were telling me? I don't know about that. But these are interesting, fascinating things. So here's a couple pictures. They often put these where there's a dam. Okay, so fish that are trying to swim upstream to spawn, if, they, if, if there's a dam there, then they can't get past it. The only way they can get past is these fish ladders. So they build these ladders as a way for the fish to still swim upstream and get up to their spawning grounds. So, they've given, they've given them that help of building the ladder, but Jason's point last week was the fish still have to swim upstream. There's still a work on their part. And, and see, that's, that's what Peter is saying in this phrase as well. He's saying, God is giving you this love. He's poured his love into you in the person of his Holy Spirit, but you still have to make the effort to love others with that love. You've got to step out. You've got to get uncomfortable. You've got to make that effort to love in this way. And so that's why he's calling us to this kind of love. This, you know, takes us back to Romans 12. If you remember the sermon back in May from Romans 12, we, we titled the sermon, Choose Love. And the, the whole message was focused on this call that God gives us as believers to make that decision to love one another, no matter how hard it may be to do. And that's what Peter is saying here as well. I'll just give you a quick example of this um, in very real and, and, and uh, personal kind of context. Beth uh, got a, a text from a friend this past week who fell down her front steps so she did it. I, I've done this before. She had her reading glasses on, and she forgot to take them off. And, you know, when, when you look down with reading glasses on, it throws everything off, threw her off, lost her balance, went down the front brick steps. She landed on her hands and thankfully did not break anything amazingly, but her hands are swollen to twice their size, all bruised. She sent Beth some pictures. She also landed on the side of her face, so contusions and bruise on the side of her face. I mean, she, she is out of commission for a while. So her, her church, her small group at her church heard about this, and within a day or two, some ladies from her small group showed up at her doorstep with food for the family. Now, you might think, well, that's to be expected, of course. And we would do the same thing here at Trinity. A meal train would step in in a case like that, and meals would be provided, great. But in this case, these two women who were the first to show up had their own challenges, their own disabilities, both of them with difficult arthritis in their knees, in their hands, to make a meal, to bring a meal, to come and go up those same dangerous steps that this friend had fallen down to deliver that meal, that was an extra step. That was, a, that was loving deeply. That was going above and beyond. That's what Peter is talking about. This is a small example of what Peter is talking about here. He says, look for those opportunities. Step out of your own comfort zone to love one another deeply. How do we do that? How do we love in this way? How do we love from deeply from the heart? Well, Peter goes on to tell us. He, he, he continues to give us the explanation, he, and he goes right back to our salvation. He says it's possible because we've been born again, because we have new life in us. 
So this is verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So he's saying the reason you can love in this way in a way you never could before is because you have a new life. You've been born again. That's what we sang about right from the beginning of this service, right? I'm a child of God. I've been born into his family. That makes a difference in who you are and what you are called to do. So what does he mean by perishable seed and imperishable seed? Well, physical life, we all start from perishable seed. Our physical life will eventually, if Jesus doesn't come back again, will end in death. doesn't matter who you are, what you do, eventually this human life ends. But he says, but you've been born of imperishable seed, eternal life, spiritual life that cannot die. And that makes all the difference, Peter is saying. You have spiritual life. So how do we encounter this? How does that happen? How do we get that eternal life? Peter says in the next phrase in verse 23, through the living and enduring word of God. Just what we sang about this morning too, the faithful word of God, living and enduring. Right back where he was in the early part of the chapter. Peter had already testified to the wonder and the power of God's word. And so he says it again here. He says, you have salvation because God has revealed that salvation plan in his living and enduring word. Living meaning it's alive and it gives life. Enduring means that it never ends. God's word will not fail. It will not die. And then he quotes just to show us this from Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8. The portion of that passage he uses in these words, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Here again is another one of these really vivid word pictures. Peter is so good at this. I think maybe he picked this up from listening to Jesus and all of his parables and the, and the object lessons that Jesus used. So Peter says, you know, look at the grass. So I took a picture of us. There's some dead grass in my yard. You probably have dead grass somewhere around you. You see it every day. He said, the grass eventually dies. It withers. That's the nature of it. And flowers fall. So beautiful hydrangea that Beth planted in a pot at our house. Well, it was beautiful, but now the, it's turning brown. The, the flowers are falling because that's the cycle. Physical life ends in death, but the Word of God stands forever. See, we're surrounded by this. We're, we get these reminders every day, whether it's grass or flowers or your cell phone, which happened to me this past week as well. I've had it for five years, kept it going, kept it alive passed up four or five different new iterations of the iPhone, keeping my iPhone 6. But I found out that you can't leave an an iPhone 6 in water, underwater, for more than 30 minutes or it dies. (laughs) I didn't do it intentionally, but it happened and it died. These reminders, way after way, place after place, time after time, that we live in a world that is destined for death, but the Word of God 
endures forever. And this is what makes God's word stand out. This is why it's so important for us to read it and to study it, because it does not change and it does not die. And this permanent word, he says in verse 25, this is the word that was preached to you. So now he takes it personally. He says, okay, not only is God's word living and enduring, but this is what you received. This is the word that you believed. This is what your faith is, is founded on. This is ultimate truth. And it's God's plan from the beginning. Wouldn't you love to have somebody, anybody, be able to give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about this coronavirus? Wouldn't it be nice if somebody could tell us exactly what it is, where it's going, what's happening with it, how to avoid it, how to get rid of it, all, if, we, if all of our questions could just be answered by somebody, but they can't be. Nobody knows, no matter how much of an expert they are, nobody knows everything about it. And so we're left with speculations and a little bit of truth here, a little bit of truth there, and, and we're left with more questions than answers. And this is all just about one little virus. Okay, one big virus. So, when it comes to matters of life and death and eternity, who are you going to trust? And try to find somebody in this world, something in this world that has the answer, that, that it can give you the whole truth? It's not going to happen. It's right here. And it's only here. Only God and only God's Word has the truth that we need for life and eternity. This is the only place where the answers are. We have the living and enduring Word of God. Don't miss that point this morning. And therefore, Peter says in the beginning of chapter 2, we have an obligation. So remember, we've said this before. The chapter break is just added later. Peter didn't make a chapter break when he's writing this letter. He's just continuing his thought. He's saying, okay, because of this salvation, because of the living, enduring word of God, this gospel that's been preached to you, because of that, therefore, it should make a difference in your life. It changes who you are and what you do. And so he tells us there in these next verses at the beginning of chapter 2, there are some things that you need to take off and there are some things you need to take in. And those are our next two principles, our next two points for this morning. Here's the, here's the second point today. Those born again into God's family cast off sinful habits. Notice what Peter says in verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So he's given us these five sins. They're sins of attitude. They're sins of, of, of speech. But most importantly, they are barriers to loving others the way we should. And I think that's the tie-in to the verses at the end of chapter 1. Peter is saying to us, okay, if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to really love one another deeply, then you've got to get rid of these sins. And the word rid here literally means to cast off or cast aside. It was used of, of taking off a garment. And so this makes sense to me. 
If, if Peter is saying to us, cast off or take off these sins like a dirty garment, then just yesterday, I came into the house in the morning after working outside, so I'm dirty, I'm sweaty, and, and when I come in either from, you know, playing sports or working outside and I'm hot and sweaty, Beth's kind words are to me are, you smell outdoorsy. <laughs> yeah, that's her word for it. And I, I appreciate the kindness in the tone, but I know what she means. <laughs> she means you need to clean up. And so then she'll add to that. She'll say, well, why don't you just leave those shoes, those work boots, leave those in the garage and take those dirty, sweaty clothes. Just, would you just put them right into the washing machine, basically, so she doesn't have to touch them? But, you know, I'm, I'm glad to oblige because I'm feeling the same way. When I come in hot and sweaty and dirty, I just want to get that stuff off of me and get cleaned up. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, don't you want to just rid yourself of this stuff that's clinging to you, these dirty, sweaty clothes that are keeping you from obeying God and loving others the way you should? Look at the words specifically here just for a minute. Malice. We don't use the word malice very often, but we see it probably every day in our world. It's a type of hatred. It's it's hatred that, or anger that moves to a point of wanting to do harm to somebody else. It's that deep-seated hatred that would make you want to injure, hurt someone else. Malice, deceit. That's deliberate kind of dishonesty. So it's not just the accidental misquote of, a tr of the truth. This is intentionally speaking or acting with ulterior motives, manipulation. Third word is hypocrisy, which is acting out of part, pretending to be something or someone that you're not. Envy is the desire to possess something that somebody else has, wanting it enough to be able to take it from them. Slander is speech that deliberately assaults the character of another person. So you can see how with all five of these, Peter is showing us these things that can creep into our lives that will, instead of loving others, create self-centeredness, selfishness in us. And they'll break relationships with others. And, and Peter isn't telling us, he's not just saying, you know, just, if you could just handle a couple of these, you know, take, pick two or three of these and work on those, or just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And he says, all of it. You need to get rid of all of it. None of this can stay in your life if you're going to live out your salvation, loving others. You've got to take it off. Get rid of it. Those born into God's family will cast off, get rid of those besetting sins. And then finally, he emphasizes what we need to take in. And this is often the case in the Bible, right? When you see, let's get rid of something, then there's something else that needs to come and take its place. And, and this is what Peter is telling us here in the next few verses. Those born into God's family crave spiritual nourishment. You need this nourishment. So verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Now, notice he says, like newborn babies. He's not saying to the readers or to us, he's not saying, well, because you're brand new Christians, because you're immature. He's just saying, you need this like a baby needs milk. You need spiritual nourishment in your life. 
and you need to crave it like a baby craves milk. Now, those of you that remember, Beth and I went up to Wisconsin last week to see our family and our little five-month-old granddaughter that I had not seen in person yet. So you had to figure I was going to bring a picture of her and work it into the sermon somehow. But it, did, it didn't take much work. I mean, it's right here, right, in this passage. Because at five months old, milk is all she eats and drinks. And so we had this beautiful privilege of taking her in our laps, in our arms, and feeding her that bottle. And when you bring that milk to her in that bottle, she opens her mouth wide. She's uh, going for Jesus. She will latch onto that. She craves milk. That's the nature of babies. That's what they do. I even gave Beth a few turns with the baby as well. <laughs> so for five days, we've, we held the baby and we played with the two-and-a-half-year-old. It was wonderful. Babies crave milk. That's what Peter is saying to us here. He's saying, for you, you need to crave pure spiritual milk. So what is that? It doesn't come in a bottle. What is this pure spiritual milk? Well, surely it has to do, again, with the Word of God, right? I mean, that's the context here. That's what what Peter's been talking about here. It's the Word of God, but it's more than that. There are other ways through the Word that God nourishes us. And why does He nourish nourish us? For our growth. In fact, that's what Peter says next. In the very next phrase, he says, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So remember Peter's talked about this. You've been saved, passed. In a moment of time, you gave your life to Christ, you're saved. But he says, you're also being saved. You're going through trials and things now. You are growing. Now he's telling us part of that is that growth process. That's your salvation now. And one day you will be saved fully, completely, perfectly. But while we're in this moment now, we need to be focused on growing. So what is it that helps you grow in your salvation? Well, when you go to God's Word, we can study it, and we should study it and read it on our own. But there is a growth that happens when we do it together, which is why at Trinity here we focus so much and encourage you so often to be in a Bible fellowship class, in a Bible study group in a small group because we need that encouragement and motivation from others to get into God's Word, to learn God's Word, to understand it, and to grow from it because we all need that nourishment. And if you're not getting the nourishment and you're not growing, then you're not experiencing your salvation the way God intended it. That growth comes as we pray, as we fast, It comes through the blessing of music, praise, music, and worship. It may come in a personal form, someone who, as a Christian counselor, mentor, discipler, speaks into your life and helps you grow. In all those ways, we need those experiences of nourishment and growth because we never stop growing spiritually. And here's where spiritual growth is so different than physical growth, right? Physically, you spend the first number of years, what, you know, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, 18 years of your life growing, but then you stop growing for the most part. I mean, you might grow in other ways that we won't talk about, but those, for the most part, your growth stops physically, but it should never stop spiritually. 
should never stop spiritually. We are made to continue growing till the moment we die or until Jesus comes and takes us to heaven. Spiritual growth continues. We should search for it, long for it, make time for it. It's got to be a priority in your life. If spiritual growth is not on your to-do list in some way, then you're missing out. We should crave the spiritual milk that helps us grow in Christ. That's what Peter's saying. When I say the name Sir Edmund Hillary, what do you think of? Mount Everest. Mount Everest. The highest mountain in the world. Did you know that many of the first attempts he made to climb that mountain to get to the top were unsuccessful? Failures, actually. In fact, he came back from one of those attempts. Five five of his co-climbers lost their lives. He was devastated. Went back to England. And the British Parliament felt like they should do something to honor him and his efforts, at least, to climb this great mountain. And so they brought him into their chambers for parliament. As, as Sir Edward, Edmund Hillary came into the room, they stood in standing ovation. They had at the front a picture of Mount Everest, just as a reminder to everybody of this, this mountain he was attempting to conquer. He went up to the front and addressed, addressed the parliament with tears streaming down his face. And as, to everyone's surprise, he stopped at one moment as he was there, and he turned to the picture of Mount Everest and spoke directly to it. He said, you defeated me, but you won't defeat me again because you have grown all that you can, but I am still growing. He recognized that even in his failures, he was learning, he was growing, he was figuring things out. And eventually, he was the first to conquer that mountain. Peter is saying to us, don't stop growing. How determined are you in that? How determined are you to keep growing? Are you learning from your mistakes and failures? as Hillary had to do? Are you learning from your obedience? Are you growing from your obedience on a daily basis? Are you craving the pure spiritual milk that God is offering to you that will help you grow into the person that God intended you to be? Those born into God's family must take in spiritual nourishment. So Peter slips in one more motivating comment. Fits right in with this got milk metaphor. Verse 3 is now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here it is again. He's reminding us of our salvation. He said, you know, if, if you know the Lord Jesus, you've tasted of God's goodness and God's grace. You've experienced it for yourself. How could you not want more of that? How could you not be digging in to receive all the spiritual nourishment that he has for you? So Peter is motivating us by reminding us that we've had just a taste. The psalmist says this too, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you'll just take a taste. I remember when I was a kid, my mom would be making brownies, and you know, after she 
whipped up, stirred up the icing, she would take the beater off and she would hand me the beater. And I could lick off the chocolate icing that was on that beater, licking with my tongue, get my finger in behind to get it out, you know, and then lick it off here. And that taste just made me long for the brownies. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're here this morning and you haven't had that taste, you, you haven't yet experience the goodness and grace of God in, in saving you from your sin, then that's the taste you need today. That's the step you need to take today. And I would love the opportunity, me or Jason, any of our elders, to talk to you about that as our service concludes today. But if you have tasted, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, and you've experienced His grace and goodness in your life, then keep craving for more. Crave the spiritual, the pure spiritual milk of the word, of spiritual growth. Getting rid of the sins that prevent it and loving others who are craving that growth with you. This morning, do you have that milk? Let's bow our heads. As we close and before we sing our final song, I just want to give you a moment to respond very personally, just quietly, silently, right where you are at home or right here in this room. Maybe you need to respond to the, today. Maybe, maybe there needs to be a step of confession. You need that purifying work of God in your life. Maybe some of those sins that Peter listed, you realize have gotten a hold of you and you need to confess them and rid yourself of them. Maybe that's the response today. Maybe it's just a, a renewed craving for spiritual nourishment and spiritual growth. If that's what you need this morning, ask God for that. He would love to pour out his, the milk of his word into your life and help you grow. Ask him for that. Or maybe this morning you realize, I'm, I'm not making the effort to love deeply. I'm not striving with all that I have to look for those opportunities and take those opportunities to love others. Then ask God to help you with that. Give you eyes to see those opportunities and to step out of your comfort zone and to love deeply. Whatever your prayer response, voice it to God quietly right now. He hears you. Lord Jesus, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for loving us, us enough to go to the cross and die for us. Thank you for staying at work in us, not just leaving us as we are, but doing that purifying work in us by your word that is living and enduring to make us more like you, to get rid of the sin and to instead pour in the nourishing milk of the word, that spiritual growth that we so long for. God, keep us moving in that direction. Keep us following you, obeying you, listening to you, digging into your word so that we can be effective in a dark world that so desperately needs the light. 
May we be the ones who glorify you and magnify you and invite others to taste and see that God is good. May that kind of praise be on our lips today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to close with this uh, a voice, a song of praise and glorifying the Lord Jesus, magnifying him, and it contains that key phrase that Peter uses, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34. Mm-hmm.